Welcome to When They Popped. Let's rewind to a simpler time together and dive deep into the music, movement, and mania behind our favorite Y2K celebrities and trends. Hosted by Kelsey and Mary, it's time for another episode of When They Popped. Hello, and welcome to When They Popped. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Mary. Welcome back, Kelsey. It's so good to have you back. Oh my God, I'm back again. Mary, thank you so much for doing, and Steph, for last week's episode. You guys killed it with your track by track of Stripped, Christina's album. I agree with all of your sentiments. The best tracks are the ones that didn't become singles. So thank you guys for doing that deep dive. It was beautiful. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. We had a lot of fun, but I'm happy to have my partner in crime back in action. What do you got for us today? Okay, well, we have to start off this episode with some really, I don't know why I'm laughing because it's some really sad news. I just hate to like, you know, bring the vibe down like immediately. But we have to pay tribute to a Y2K icon who sadly passed away yesterday, Steve Harwell from Smash Mouth. He passed away at just the early age. I think he was only like 52 in his early 50s. All-Star came out in 1999. And I am pretty sure that it was the soundtrack to all of our birthday parties <laughs> in that era. So we just wanted to pay our respects to Steve Harwell and all of his contributions to our favorite Y2K memories. Carson Daly gave a really beautiful tribute to Steve on the Today Show. He met Steve when Carson was still working in radio. And Carson was one of the reasons why Smash Mouth was ever played on the radio waves for the first time. He and Steve became buddies. And then when Carson got hired at TRL... He sort of brought Smash Mouth with him along on the oh. ride and gave them their first exposure on TRL, which made them the stars and the icons that they became. Carson Daly had a front row seat to so many amazing stories of people sort of just coming out of oblivion and becoming these amazing stars. So it's very cool that he and Smash Mouth had this you know, bond. So Rip, Steve, thank you for everything you've done for us. And now we're going to bring the vibe back up again, okay? Because... The VMAs are coming up on September 12th. That's right. The MTV Video Music Awards. Speaking of TRL and MTV. (laughs) So we needed to take a look back at our favorite performances from our favorite era. And before we begin, (laughs) it's that time. You know, your little copyright disclaimer. So full disclaimer, we do not own or claim to own the rights to the songs and performances in this episode. The purpose of these clips is for commentary and critique. Okay. Let's talk about the MTV VMAs. They were undoubtedly like the pinnacle of pop mm. culture when we were growing up. Like that's where you would see your favorite artists all rubbing shoulders, your mix CD that you burned illegally from Napster. You know, all of those <laughs> tracks were together in one room, dancing together, wearing outrageous clothes, giving the most incredible performances. I mean, I used to have friends over every year so we could watch it together. And it was just so much fun. Back in the day, it was just such an ordeal. Like you had no idea what was going to happen, but you knew it was going to be big. I remember I just couldn't miss it. (laughs) Now I would honestly be surprised if I recognized half of the names performing. (laughs) 
FML. I'm like, <laughs> literally same. I'm like, who oh, was like Googling? <laughs> well, this was like before Twitter, right? Like I yes. love watching the Super Bowl and like Beyonce's Lemonade when she dropped that. Yeah. I was all over Twitter because I wanted to get those like real life reactions from people. And I was like, wait, I used to do this with my actual friends in person. In person. Because <laughs> <laughs> like they would come over to watch it. And it was always the VMAs or like the MTV Movie Awards. You're so right. They just had this air of anything can happen and you mm-hmm. need to be watching it and if you catch it when it's the live broadcast you might see something that they're going to blurt out later or like cut from the show so it really was like a live wire you never knew what was going to happen so the VMAs were created obviously to recognize the best of music by MTV and this was supposed to be an alternative to the Grammy Awards but obviously geared toward a younger audience that MTV served so the first show was held in 1984 at Radio City Music Hall in New York City you probably remember the show used to ping pong just between New York City and LA they did some shows in Miami eventually but NYC was where we got the first VMAs ever and that's when we were first introduced to the iconic Moon Man Award their little Oscar statue, except he was a silver astronaut on the moon, which of course was MTV's early brand identity, that logo. And you guys, we have to tell you, like when we talk to choreographer, dancer, actor, and all around multi-hyphenate amazing person, Darren Henson of Darren's Dance Grooves fame, he showed us his moon man like <laughs> in our interview. And he was like, it's a lot heavier than it looks. Mary, when he held it next to his like beautiful face, I thought it looked a lot bigger than I remember them in my head also. Yeah. And first of all, he was like, I hope you don't mind. I brought someone along with me to this interview. And I was like, what? Who's there? Brittany's making her return to the interviews with Darren. <laughs> and he's like, he's right above me here. He said something about those lines and he had his moon man behind him. And it was pretty damn cool to see him pick up that moon man and let us take a gander at it. Still an iconic piece of history, music history for sure. So obviously Darren won an award. I need to Google what it was. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Oh, yeah. Best yes. choreography. Mm-hmm. He won for Bye 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 Best Choreography. I mean, how freaking cool. I read somewhere some actress keeps her Oscar in the bathroom because she knows people want to hold it and like look at themselves holding one. I feel like <laughs> I would totally do that. Except I'd like put it under lock and key and like an alarm would go off if you touched it because I'm selfish. <laughs> so I bet you're all wondering, what was the first VMAs award show even like? Well, thanks to the internet, we can tell you that the very first VMA ceremony in 1984, Madonna performed Like a Virgin. Mm-hmm. Whoa. She was wearing this like bustier wedding gown. When I think of Madonna, that's how I think of her. Mm-hmm. Cindy Lauper won Best Female Video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And David Bowie and the Beatles and director Richard Lester were awarded with the first ever Video Vanguard Award for their work in pioneering the music video. So, I mean, if that isn't a time capsule, I mean, I think of Girls Just Want to Have Fun as like an old, old song that like my mom listened to as a young girl. So like, (laughs) that's kind of crazy. So the ceremony eventually gained a ton of credibility and popularity. And it was eventually called the Super Bowl for Youth (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it drew millions of young viewers each year. But in recent years, you know, you kind of alluded to this, Mary, like we don't know who's... (laughs) 
on the show anymore. It's sort of been declining steadily. But I think in the early 2000s, from what I've read and also just my own memories, that's really when the show itself popped. And that's when it reached peak popularity, the early 2000s. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Our favorite performances from the Y2K era. Mary, you have compiled one of the most amazing series of performances. I can't wait to hear the performances that you picked to talk through. All right. Let's go to peak Y2K, a.k.a. the year 2000. Now, everybody, just take a step back. I want you to all close your eyes and go back in time with me to when things were simpler and you were a sweet, you know, 18, 19 years young. You probably had your license for a few years. Alcohol was still very difficult to obtain, but you just exercised your right to vote for the first time. Wowie, life was simple, life was good, life was easy. Now let's discuss this next performance and what this performer was doing at the age of 19. Kelsey, I'll give you just one guess because I know you only need one. (laughs) (laughs) It's Britney, bitch. It's Britney, bitch. (laughs) Sure is Britney Spears, her 2000 performance at the VMAs where she did a medley of I Can't Get No Satisfaction and Oops, I Did It Again. Now, this was not Britney's first performance at the VMAs. As she had performed the year before, she was kind of the opener for NSYNC. She did an abbreviated version of Baby One More Time. And introduced some friends of hers, aka NSYNC. Right now, I'd like to introduce to you some friends of mine. So she was 18 when she did that. So this is not her first time on the VMA stage. And she actually went on to perform three years in a row and four times in five years, 99, 2000, 2001, and 2003. She's known as the queen of the VMA stage and has received countless awards and is definitely MTV's pride and joy, especially at this time. They had to have Britney either performing or attending or presenting because she was just that bitch. But okay, anyhow, let's set the stage. Napster co-founder Sean Fanning co-introduced Britney for this performance. The irony that Justin Timberlake played him in the movie The Social Network. It's just too much for me to take. Like, it's how is it all connected? Much. It's all connected. <laughs> it's crazy. More irony because Sean was wearing a Metallica t-shirt and Metallica, like, notoriously was super anti-Napster at the time because they knew that this like ripping music and online access to music was the beginning of the end for, you know, making money like they used to in the music industry. industry of everyone in the room. Yes. (laughs) They were right all along. So we should have listened to Metallica. I only had a dollar for every time I should have listened to Metallica. Otherwise worth mentioning, Britney and Justin had just recently confirmed couple status and attended the event together that year. So I'm sure everything was just buzzing around them. I can only imagine. So let's talk through this performance a little bit. So she starts off on top of like this like castle. It gives me like Rapunzel vibes almost. It's like a winding staircase. And she's wearing this like black sparkly suit. And she's in this chair singing her cover of Satisfaction by the Stones. 
It's kind of like a slow down, sexier version. Like, la, la. I can't do it, but you know what I'm talking about. And yes, for this performance, the mic is freaking on, okay? She is singing live, baby. She probably has some backing, but she is singing live. So she makes her way down from her Rapunzel tower while she's singing this little seductive version of the stones. Her hair's tucked up in this like hat. It's kind of covering her eyes. We're not getting like the full view of Britney. And she has her iconic headset microphone on. And when she gets to the bottom, all of a sudden we get this beat drop. And she's like, I can't get no bum bum. She just goes right into her live Britney vocals, and it's just like, yes. Bitch, I love to hear her sing live. I love to hear her singing in that lower register. Like that is where she shines. And then I also noticed she was wearing sneakers. And so you knew this was just the beginning and our princess of pop was going to dance. The sneakers. That's such a good call because I always look at what she's wearing. on yes. She loves comfortable shoes. So this is when we get the iconic removal of her suit to reveal the nude Swarovski crystal bra flared pants set. And, you know, it makes it look like she's naked, but she's not actually, obviously. But I was listening to another podcast talking about this, and they mentioned how, like, back then TVs were so much lower definition that they are now that it actually appeared to many people that she was naked because just the detail was not as sharp as we're used to now. That's such a good point. And TVs were a lot smaller. Like everyone yes. had, had like a small TV in their kitchen growing up. That right. Got like three channels. So like imagine just seeing that, you know, your dad sitting there and it looks like freaking Britney Spears rips off her suit and is nude. But obviously we know she wasn't. It <laughs> and <definitely>, is nude. <laughs> it definitely ruffled the feathers. Let me tell you, it was definitely like the little sister precursor to the toxic bodysuit that we got a few years later. This piece of art outfit was designed by David Darimple. I've never heard of him before, but man, it's such a Y2K style, like kind of the bra top, the flared pants. There was definitely a minor wardrobe malfunction with this outfit as we see her pants falling off a bit before she rips them off to hand them off to that like rogue hand <laughs> reaching out from behind that like standing curtain to take the suit. Kelsey, I love how you tell the story about the mic pack. Can you reshare that for me? Was it that the mic pack was just hanging on by a literal yes, thread? Yes. The, like the mic pack needs its own episode because, or the pants, like <laughs> the pants held on. The pants were panting. I mean, that <laughs> mic pack, how heavy was it? Honestly, I need to Google, like, how heavy was a mic pack in the year 2001? Because the way when she jiggled, like, she goes up to the camera at one point, she does like this little body jiggle, and yeah. it looks like she's like grabbing her. Her, like thigh or like her side but she's yes. really holding her mic back oh. so it doesn't oh. pants her in front of everyone on live tv she must have been sewn into that i don't think any material could have withstood what the happened trauma of the that mic night 
<laughs> no kidding. So yeah, we talked about this iconic moment in our Oops anniversary episode with Troy McKeady, aka Troy Jean Spears. So if you want to hear more about it, definitely give that episode a listen. Oh, yes. Also, what we mentioned in that episode, and I want to reiterate, I want everyone to go and rewatch the crowd that's on the floor of this, like the first row around the stage who gets like the front row seat of her ripping this suit off. Like they're reacting as you would expect. Like they had no idea this was coming. They did not know what was going to happen. And it's just so cool to see their honest reaction in that moment. Uh, You know, jaws on the floor, obviously. So she kind of engages with the crowd, you know, running around the stage. She rips her hat off, throws that and reveals that head of platinum blonde hair. I just got chills, baby. I was like, here we go. Here we go. I'm not kidding you when I tell you that this is what I thought I looked like (laughs) on the dance floor at my middle school dances when I would take off my North Face fleece and reveal my Abercrombie (laughs) denim skirt. No one had seen before because we had a really strict dress code. And you could like finally see my arms because I was wearing like an Abercrombie tank top. Uh, This is what we were all trying and hoping to look like we were a ways off. That's when we get this transition into oops. We get hurt. Ooh, yeah. So low. It's so low. That lower register, the mic is on, and her and her shirtless man dancers in orange pants break into this incredible, very technical choreo that goes perfect with the song, to say the least. And to say that she is on, it would be an understatement. And it should be surprising to no one that this routine was choreographed by Wade Robinson. I mean, he killed it with this. The choreo's choreoing. The voice is voicing. It was really a perfect performance. After that first verse and chorus of oops, this is when she moves on to this like metal space egg orb, which is like set back, (laughs) (laughs) further back on the stage, whatever the fuck that thing is. And it probably like looked super high tech and cool and futuristic back then. Like to me now, it looks like super cheap. It did not age like great, but it, it, like I bet back then it was like, ooh, what is this cool high tech thing that starts like rotating with her in it? But like, regardless, I love her little time in the silver egg. And she, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of like intricacies in this dance of choreo she, at the part when she's like, can't you see I'm a fool? She does a little like wave to the audience, just like little things that I've noticed over the years after watching, like counting for a hundred thousand of the views on YouTube. And after the second verse in chorus, she does this iconic dance break. It's a part of the song that's not in the studio version of Oops. And it starts off with Britney going, woo! Kelsey and I were just discussing how much we missed like uhs and woos and music. Bring the audibles back. We want to hear the oohs and ahs. And the uhs. And the one time for the rodeo. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I needed that. Okay. So she's out dancing her dancer. She's in the egg. One of my favorite parts of this whole performance is at the end of this like dance break where she's like shimmying and shaking her hips like crazy. She's like clearly aware of like her stage presence and what camera's shooting her and when. 
because at the final beat before that last chorus and running out from the egg to the front of the stage, she does this like, you know, as Kelsey kind of said, this like crazy hip ass shaking thing right on beat and then throws her head up and she makes like eye contact with this camera that's shooting her aerially. So from like above, she knew it was going to be there. She knew they were cutting to that one next. And oh, it just gives me chills. So that final chorus, she's back in center stage. She drops to the floor. She's like pounding the floor, leans back. She's doing this like sexy shimmy. Remember, she's freaking 19 years old. This is why I wanted you to remember what you were doing at 19 because this is insane. Please rewatch this part too. Like the face she's making at the end when she's pounding the ground and like looking around. It's like this devilish smile almost. And it's like, she knows what she just did and she knows that she is at the top of her game and just looks so confident and happy and sure of herself. And I just burst with pride every time I see it. Final words. Ooh, I did it again. The applause is deafening. It's funny, Mary, because you're like, what were you doing at 19? And I was with you studying. Oh, my God. Kelsey and I were like doing projects for our humanities class. I literally was with you studying like every night, like panicking. I was going to flunk out of college. And I probably went to half of the classes. So (laughs) oh, God. Yes. Moral of the story. We were not doing this. And... (laughs) Also, officially formally starting a petition to get this like heavy beat version of Oops released. This is Max Martin on freaking steroids. The beats of Oops are just like super accentuated in this version. And I've literally like ripped it off YouTube to have it on my iPhone to so I can listen to it because I just love it so much. I agree. Troy, he referred to this in our episode as like the rock version of Oops. Mm. And I totally agree. It's so special. It's different. We need it on Spotify. I don't know what's happening. She's been mismanaged for so long. And that's another episode for oh, another God. day. That's, a, that's an episode behind a paywall one day. But um, <laughs> with a lot of disclaimers. And yes, no editing and just let me go. But So at the performance's end, the co-host that year was Marlon Wayans. He made the statement, girl went off from the Mickey Mouse Club to the strip club. And okay, he can fuck all the way off. And yes, 100% societal feathers were definitely ruffled by this. The Pearl Clutchers were not happy with this performance. And this is really when a lot of the conversation towards Britney became, you know, about her virginity and was she sexy? Was she innocent? Just a lot of it went towards Britney and her sexuality. But hindsight is always twenty twenty, and uh, Billboard has since described this performance as one of the defining live moments of her career and the award show as a whole. And it's a masterclass in delivering a televised performance that says, I have arrived. And that she had. I'm with it's like so annoying that people made this all about her being like Mm. slutty or whatever because she's more covered than many people are on a beach in a bathing suit get over it she's wearing (laughs) pants people and sneakers oh my god okay yep she was way more dressed than the subject of our next pick (laughs) So speaking of being scantily clad, 
<laughs> One of my favorite VMA performances includes what was the song of the year, in my opinion, in 2000, The Thong Song by Cisco. I love this performance because Cisco just has this insane energy. His performance was, as Mary calls it, cardiovascular Mm -hmm. in that he was doing these incredible flips, like one-handed cartwheels, all while singing live. He was wearing this amazing red leather bedazzled jacket, which was open with no shirt underneath. So haters, no one said anything about his outfit being too scantily clad. True. And these big red leather pants. But, I mean, it was just really amazing to see him do these vocal runs while he's also physically running across the stage and just going crazy with this choreo. This is like an athletic event. It really was. I mean, it's like watching Bring It On, but like (laughs) they're doing a cheer routine while also singing live to an amazing song his dancers are wearing these really fun white outfits they're wearing these white pants with these little leather like vests and they have these embroidered red flames on them it's just very campy and fun it just felt like a party and again his dancing is just so incredible this is how i remember the vma is just being really fun and carefree a little sexy like mm-hmm. something fun that it's like oh, i hope my mom doesn't walk in during this part like you know, you know singing the thong song with a shirtless guy doing car <laughs> But that's what made it so fun to watch. So while I love this performance a lot, what I love even more is the backstory behind the thong song. The backstory. No, no pun intended there. (laughs) So I saw a TikTok breaking down how the song came to be. I sent it to Mary immediately because I was like, I cannot believe that this is how the thong song happened. Because this story involves Michael Jackson Star Wars, and the (laughs) Beatles. Like, what the fuck? So Vice did a documentary on the song's 20th anniversary, and they interviewed Cisco and the producers who all made the track happen. So here's how the story goes. It all begins with a beat that was developed by the Funk Twans. (laughs) I think it must be like the Funk Twins. Anyways, they are like the most successful music producing and songwriting duo like in the world. Their real names are Tim Kelly and Bob Robinson. So I'm going to call them Tim and Bob from now on. (laughs) But they developed a beat that sampled the Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby. So this sample had this Eleanor Rigby beautiful violin string moment and then this really sick beat. And this sample was meant to go to Michael Jackson because Mm -hmm. they were frequent collaborators with him. And at the same time, Tim and Bob were also working on a compilation of samples for Cisco, who was working on his second solo album at the time. But the tunes for Cisco were way more in line with his like R&B vibe. Tim and Bob accidentally included the Eleanor Rigby sample track as the first song on this compilation of beats for Cisco. So they're sitting with Cisco in the studio. He flew in for this meeting. They're playing the tracks they've prepared for him. And the first one, they're like, oh, shit. Like, that's not for you. Forget you heard that. Like, ah. And Cisco hears it immediately. He's like, oh, my God, what is this? I love it. And the producers, like Tim and Baba, 
eventually had to be like, oh, what are you talking about? It's not that good. Like, let's go. <laughs> he was like, no, like, I can't stop thinking about this. I want to listen to it again. And they were like, I'm so sorry, but this was an accident. Like, we already shared this with Michael Jackson. So like, Mary, have you ever texted the wrong person with a text that was intended for somebody else? <laughs> Honestly, I did that once with you. And it was like, I was meant to text you and I texted the <gasps> other person. <laughs> Wait, recently? Oh, wait, when we were in no. college. Yes. When we were in college, studying instead of yes. dancing sexy. Yes. It was awful. And I'm pretty sure I cried about it. And you were like, it's fine. Oh. Don't forget about it. Anyways, oh. I certainly have done that. But this seems even worse somehow. So Cisco was like, damn it. So <laughs> he left their meeting and he was flying home. But he pretty much like immediately called them. And he was like, I need this beat. I'm on the plane home right now. But if you tell me that I can have this track, I'm going to immediately turn around and fly back to you guys and start working on this song. He really loved the classical sounding violin and then the beat, how it was more party pop. So the producers were like, all right, if somebody loves a song this much, like we just kind of have to give it to them. But it sounds like Michael Jackson didn't want it anyway. So it all worked out. Cisco gets the beat. He's back the next day to record the song. Cisco was only 22 when he recorded this song. So while they had a beat and he had a melody in mind, he still needed to write the words. And he said that at this stage in his career, he was pretty much writing songs by freestyling in the booth. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) So you're probably like, okay, well, how does someone freestyle that thunk, the thunk, thunk, thunk? (laughs) Well, art imitates life, as they say. And Cisco had a date that night that he was writing the song. And his date went very well, apparently, because he saw, for the very first time, a thong. He said that he was so excited and enamored. Right. He The first time? First time. So I guess thongs weren't like a big thing in the early 2000s. So he told Vice Magazine, quote, I didn't know what it was. All I knew was that it was glorious. I was at a loss for words. So he was like so excited. He was like, I don't even remember what happened the rest of that night. I just couldn't wait to go tell my friends about this <gasps> thong, oh which God. apparently they had never heard of a thong either. So a few days later, they're like, ah, gotta go find a thong. Break. We'll come back, reconvene later. A couple days later, one of his friends is like, dude, guess what my girl gave me? And he said to Cisco, that thong, the thong, thong, thong. And Cisco said that that little melody just kept ringing in his head. And every time he would sing it, it made him laugh. So he tried it on the beat. And that's how the thong song became the thong song. So he goes to Tim and Bob on this Eleanor Rigby track. It's like really (laughs) eloquent and cool. And the producers were like, they had some reservations about their beat being commandeered by Cisco. First, because... Bob and Tim usually wrote entire songs for other artists, sort of like Max Martin. They usually get yes. the whole kit and caboodle. They write the lyrics. But Cisco was so involved that he really wanted to put his own stamp on it. And it just so happened that they were really scandalous at the time. But <laughs> good for Bob and Tim. They went with it. Michael Jackson held the rights to the Beatles catalog. <sighs> So that's probably why they included it, because he wouldn't have to like pay the royalties on it. And Cisco was like, I don't want to have to pay the royalties. He's like, I love you, Mike, but you don't need my money. No. So <laughs> I'm going to rewrite this string section. So they hired a cellist and a violinist who played the music in Star Wars. Oh and the violinist who plays that iconic intro. Dun, 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 dun. This thing right here. Letting all the ladies know 
what guys talk about. And the strings that you hear throughout the song, his name is Bruce Dukov, and he did the music for Star Wars. I mean, how incredible is this story? I really admire Cisco for being not only so unrelenting in getting the track he wanted, but making it his own and not being afraid to just have fun with it. Like, it makes me appreciate the song so much more. And I'm not alone in that because Billboard named it one of the greatest choruses of the 21st century. Uh. I mean, the message behind the thong song is never give up on your dreams, kids. But it's also kind of shitty that we just talked about Britney Spears getting slut-shamed for wearing a bra on stage and then this guy can go and sing about thong songs and no one bats an eyelash. But he did mention that in his music video, they weren't allowed to show a thong (laughs) because of censorship. Wearing bikinis. (laughs) That's so funny. A thong song without thongs in the music video. I never noticed it. And it was also very cool. I never really gave it much thought when I saw the music video. But now that I know about the background of the song, they have the cellist and the violinist like playing in the background while they're just partying on the beach in these like neon under black light. (laughs) That's so (laughs) cool. So sorry I went on that really long tangent about the thong song, but I mean, I feel like it just adds so much more color to this performance about why it's such a special song. I had not remembered seeing that performance before and rewatched it. And it's really cool to watch. His mic is definitely on and he's doing freaking flips and it's definitely worth a revisit. Now, Kelsey, did I hear you like mention the name Brittany in the last like two minutes or something? (laughs) Perhaps. Perhaps. Oh, well, since you mentioned her, this is a perfect excuse for me to segue right into my next pick. You guys, if you listen, you know me by now. I don't have self-control. I have to talk about Britney. And we're going to move right into 2001, I'm a Slave for You performance. The question I think in many minds after her performance in 2000 was, how does the Princess of Pop top what she accomplished in her first solo VMA performance? And I think it's arguable that she absolutely did in this next performance in 2001. And I would say a lot of it is because of this key extra that she called upon to share the stage with her in the 2001 show. And that would be, of course, Mrs. Banana the Snake, aka a seven-foot albino burmese python i'm so glad you picked this mary because (laughs) this performance is what so many people think of when they think of britney so she understood the power of image and how unique and impactful this performance would be i mean if someone puts a snake around their shoulders and they just start walking towards like someone slowly like you know exactly what it is that just goes to show the power of this performance and how it's it became its own thing that picture of Britney standing there with that snake on her shoulders, you can all see it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it wasn't just that. It wasn't just banana being sexually draped on Britney's shoulders in true jungle princess fashion. But it was 20-year-old Britney's poise with this snake. Like, let's take that into consideration as well. Like, okay, if someone put a snake over my shoulders right now, 32-year-old me even if I knew it was coming and was like preparing and rehearsing and bracing for it, I would be screaming, crying, perfect storm, throwing up. You know, you know the drill. So this performance was in 2001 and it was literally before the release of her upcoming third self-titled album, Britney. So like she went up on the VMA stage and debuted a song 
that no one had ever heard of before. Like the balls. This does not happen. It didn't happen. I mean, you go and perform your hit, your big song at the time, the one that everybody knows. You know, when you're sitting watching an award show, you're like, oh God, I hope they perform this one. You don't want someone to perform something you don't know. And I honestly noticed like rewatching the performance, there was kind of like a stunned silence at the end, probably partially because it was like, holy shit, what just happened? But also like people weren't like singing along. No one had heard of Slave before. And like, according to Brittany herself, she was so nervous, not only about this performance, but about this debut that she could barely speak before the show. And it was actually her boyfriend, Justin. They gave her this like last minute pep talk before she went on that got her in the right headspace. You know, I don't like to give Justin credit for pretty much anything, but I guess he gets a pass with this one because that does, it takes so much guts to do. I mean, even the most seasoned performers, I can imagine what gives them the energy is having people look back at them and sing the words to their songs. Like, I can't imagine people just kind of looking at you blank face and then being like horrified there's a snake on your shoulder. Right? Yes, it was a huge risk. But okay, so let's talk this one through. Let's set the stage. It's super like jungly. There were like cages with wild animals. There's people hanging from the ceiling with like snakes around their neck. They went all out for this one. There are all these like animal noises, birds cawing. And then we hear those beats start for Slave. You know, those intro beats. The center cage spins around and there is Brittany in this cage with a white tiger. She's wearing that iconic two-piece with like a green jungle covered bra top and these blue little shorts. The belly button ring was popping off and something about her hair in this super platinum, shiny, lush. It just was styled incredibly. The layers, it looked so good. Her outfit was done by Kurt and Bart, two designers who also did other iconic looks for her, like that we see in Overprotected, Boys, Me Against the Music, and The Bodysuit and Toxic. And speaking of thongs, they were the ones who were responsible for the very scandalous decision at the time to put those pink panties over Britney's jeans in the Slave for You music video. I think about that costume decision a lot. Also, I just saw a side-by-side of her Slave for You music video and her Slave for You performance at the VMAs. And it looks like it's the same top, just in different colors. Yes. Is that like publicly known? I agree with you. It looks very similar. It would make sense to me. That was like a brooch on like the green one. But anyways, did you know that this costume, the VMAs one, and the one she wore in the Slave for You music video and her 2001 Super Bowl look, along with five other outfits, went up for auction in 2017? Some woman in Canada has all these outfits and she was trying to pawn them off. Was her name Mary? But the reason why I found it was because I kept trying to find a close up of her boots because I noticed that she wasn't wearing sneakers. It looked like they were almost like a heeled boot, but I couldn't tell from the footage. It was a wedge to confirm. It was a wedge boot. 
<laughs> I noticed that. I was like, oh, shit. She is not in her sneakies. She does have a heel. But the wedge, I feel like, makes it a little safer. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. Things so I, I was would... like trying to find, like, what does the boots look like? <laughs> it's not like a sketcher. And that's how I found out that all these outfits were being auctioned off. Things I would do if I won the lottery. I literally, maybe five years ago, almost had the, a custom made from, like, Etsy to do this for Halloween. And I chickened out. But Why? Just, you would look so, oh, my God, you have to. Well, now I'm too old. Shut. You are not. <laughs> but like, okay, sorry. We got distracted there. Back on track. So Brittany breaks out of this cage and goes and jumps on the back of one of her dancers who's on all fours and is like dressed and acting like a cheetah or tiger type, you know, some sort of wild animal. They have like stripes on them. <laughs> and this is when we start. <laughs> cheetah stripes. Oh, wait. What did, oh, they have spots. Tiger has stripes. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. It was a tiger to everybody <laughs> who's still with us. They've definitely a, stopped listening by now. Yeah. This is therapy for Kelsey and I. But so this is when we start to see bits and pieces of the iconic choreography that we now know and love and associate with Slave for You. It's done by Wade Robison, Shocker, and also Brian Friedman. And that's that choreography that we all really want to know and we think we might kind of know, but (laughs) actually don't know at all, except a few of those amazing people on TikTok that I've stumbled upon. I am still working on it. And after the first chorus and uh, leading up to the next one is when we get our snake moment. Brittany's working the stage, out dancing her dancers, and she kind of heads to the back of the stage towards a costumes lady who has Senora Banana wrapped around her neck and subsequently hands the snake off to our queen. The jaws were on the ground. I would only imagine, but we did not get any audience shots in this performance, so I really can't say if they actually were. I'm sure they were. They had to have been. (laughs) This is when we get that iconic moment where Brittany turns towards the camera. She has that snake on her neck. She says, baby, don't you want to... That's a picture that you associate in your mind of this performance. Speaking of Miss Banana, Banana's Wrangler, Mike Hanno, has gone on to say that Britney had a lot of guts to go through with this performance that was actually quite dangerous. He said, quote, she had to position the snake on her shoulders by herself and dance around, and then she had to hand it off to a third person. It's easy to screw up that kind of thing. You know, it gets wrapped around your arm and doesn't want to let go. It could have been really risky because that was a live performance. One take, end quote. Brittany admitted in a later interview that she had broken out in hives during rehearsal when she had the snake and was actually terribly afraid of snakes, had like a phobia of snakes at the time. And I mean, don't we all? Like, I would have been hiving too, my goodness. And also in the COVID era, it was discovered that Tiger King's Doc Antle was actually on stage with Britney during this performance because he was the handler for the white tiger we see during her performance. Oh my God, Doc Antle. That man was everywhere in the early 2000s. Holy crap. And like knowing what we know now about the treatment of those animals, like I don't think anybody would have done that if they knew. But like... Wow, that's insane, that Doc Antles. If you rewatch it, you can see him. It's crazy. So Brittany accepts Banana. She walks around the stage. She twirls around with her on her shoulders. She has him on her shoulders for, I counted, almost 40 seconds. 
And she's like, gets kind of close to the edge of the stage. And you see like audience members like reaching up for Britney and or Banana. I don't know what they were reaching for, but it's like, <laughs> are you guys deranged? Like, you don't want that. I, I mean, I don't think I would be able to like move or do anything. I'd be like frozen in shock watching this happen, but I would not be reaching for the snake. I noticed that too, Mary, when I was rewatching it. They're like trying to grab for her hand, but it's like the snake's like tail is like I right know. there. And she, she kind of like moves it so that they can't. It, he's it's like, like uh-uh. out of reach. <laughs> I know. But so that made me want to research some facts about banana because I didn't realize that its name was banana. But there was, we're not the only ones who still think about this performance because <laughs> Vanity Fair did a 2016 article just wondering where is the snake now and i learned it's a girl snake as you mentioned earlier so this reporter tracked down the handler mike and he said that apparently the snake didn't have a name so he probably just like (laughs) made one up to talk about the performance they were filming like a behind the scenes special at the time he thinks that maybe they just like made one up for that but he seems skeptical that he would have called the python (laughs) banana so he thought maybe britney could have named her banana so there's a lot of lore just around the name banana but in any case at least in 2016 banana the snake was alive and well and in 2001 the handler said that the snake came in at around like 20 to 25 pounds which is still pretty heavy and when the article was published in 2016 he estimated that the snake weighed about 100 pounds and was 14 feet long my god I hope that snake, you know, whatever her name is, wherever she is, I hope that she brags about her 15 minutes of fame to her little snake friends because she's an icon. Banana is a star and we appreciate her service. We really do. And I like the name Banana, honestly. I think Banana was a great name. I could see that being Brittany, like 100%. I just, I feel like that's something she would have said. But what do I know? I have a parasocial relationship. (laughs) 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 What do I really know? (laughs) Oh my God, I'm joking. That was so funny. We need to have our therapist back on. God, I really do need to talk to Dr. Um, Theron. Theron again. Miss her. Okay, so Brittany hands Banana back. She's probably like, whew, thank God. She finishes the song. And I love at the end when she like runs up these stairs with her back to the audience and the song goes like that. And there's this like big clap of thunder, lightning effects. And she looks back at the audience like, huh, beat that, bitches. I just get chills. Like, I honestly don't care that her mic was not on. By the way, her mic was not on for one second of this performance. It is the literal identical Slave for You track that you hear on your CDs. But she put on a hell of a show. Okay, I don't want you to get mad at me when I say this, but I thought that like the thunder throughout the performance (laughs) reminded me of the Rainforest Cafe. (laughs) I would get mad at you. It's true. Like, you know how they would like have a storm every 30 minutes? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. That's exactly it. reminded it. me of that. And it's like thunder, and then there's like, cock, cock. Yeah, and the monkeys go wild. Yes. Oh, it was so good. Oh, my God. Rainforest Cafe inspired. Ultimately, I also love how the rehearsal videos of both this routine and her performance from the year before have leaked. I love seeing the side by side. I love seeing Brittany like walk through these routines and just be like such a boss. She's always been very involved in her creative process. You can tell that her creative energies are all over these performances. 
Mary, I, I'm not kidding when I say that I could truly listen to you talk about Britney live performances all day. That was a perfect retelling. Thank you so much for walking us through, but we have to stop there because I don't think anyone else wants to listen to us blab for the next couple performances that we picked. So we are going to break this up into a part too. So thank you guys so much for listening. Please keep an eye out for the part two of our favorite VMA performances. That will be live later this week. In the meantime, check us out on social at when they popped pod on Instagram, and we'll be popping some really fun clips on there. Make sure you follow us, give us five stars and a nice review. Or if you have constructive feedback for us in our Instagram profile, you'll find our email. Tell us privately, people. Thank you all so much for listening. And we'll be back in a couple days with our part two. Bye.